0: Oh, Rosie, look, the sun's going down. I forgot it gets dark so much earlier these days. You up for a walk before we lose the light completely? Yeah? All right, come on, let's do it. I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke My name is Adam Buxton, I'm a man I want you to enjoy this, that's the plan Hey, how are you doing? Podcasts. Adam Buxton here, reporting to you from the evening time. I thought it was late afternoon of a beautiful day towards the end of September. Yes, 2021. Then I looked up and it was evening, bang. Not even gloaming. Actually, maybe this is gloaming. And with my not amazing eyesight, everything is getting all fuzzy and blurry. Rosie, who has decided to join me for this walk, she likes an evening walk. Uh, She's up ahead, but she's just a sort of black blur at the moment. Before I tell you about my guest for this episode, I did just want to give you a bit of book tour info. Wow! Just turned the corner on the track. Now looking over to the west. It's the last bits of light after the sun has set. Still a bit of orange over there. Shut up, buckles. Get your boring book tour info done, will you? All right, calm down. Blimey. Yeah, quick reminder about these book tour shows. Most of these shows, I'm glad to say, Richmond, Brighton, Edinburgh, York, Cardiff, Birmingham, Norwich, Manchester, they're sold out. I mean, it's always worth turning up if you're able to do that, because there are always returns. There's always a few people who weren't able to make the rescheduled dates. So, you know, if you were desperate to come along to a show that was supposedly sold out... It's worth taking a punt, but obviously couldn't guarantee. However, there are still tickets available for the following, as I speak. The Aldridge Theatre, Farnham in Surrey on Sunday the 3rd of October. Delaware Pavilion, Bexhill-on-Sea, Monday the 4th of October, few tickets left. Further back in the stalls, and Theatre, Opera House, Newcastle, Wednesday 13th of October. Few tickets there, not many. One or two left for the Marlowe Theatre, Canterbury, on the 23rd of October. Empire Theatre Inverness on the 4th of November. Regular podcasts may recall me saying it didn't look as if anyone in Inverness was at all interested in coming to see Adam Buxton rambling. I think half the tickets have now been sold, but there's still quite a lot of room there, so do come along. Uh, then there's Ireland Dates in late November. Belfast, nearly sold out, that one. Cork, that one recently went on sale, not nearly sold out. And Dublin doesn't appear to be on sale yet. There's a link in the description to all the book tour dates. Apologies once again to people who bought tickets last year and cannot now make the rescheduled dates. Thanks to those who can, and I will do my best to provide an evening of electrifying reading... Music, question answering, possibly book signing, depending on your local COVID regs. I hope to see you. All right, now let me tell you a little bit about podcast number 162, which features a rambling conversation with British comedian, actor and artist James Roderick Moire, also known as Vic Reeves. Jim Facts, Jim, currently aged 62, was born in Leeds, then moved to County Durham with his family at the age of five. After an apprenticeship in mechanical engineering at a County Durham factory, Jim moved to London, where his studies included a stint at art college towards the beginning of the 80s, where his passion for painting first flourished. Meanwhile, Jim started performing at so-called alternative comedy shows. In London around that time, one of the people that attended... One of those, a performance by Jim's showbiz alter ego, Vic Reeves, was Bob Mortimer, who volunteered to join Jim on the stage. And, as they say, the rest, as they say, is history, as they say. Vic Reeves' Big Night Out, The Smell of Reeves and Mortimer, Bang, Bang, It's Reeves and Mortimer, and Shooting Stars all helped make Vic and Bob two of the biggest and, for my money, the funniest names in UK comedy throughout the 90s. As well as continuing to collaborate with Bob Mortimer and taking on the odd acting and presenting roles on TV, Jim now spends much of his time making art, with works ranging from figurative paintings of birds to pictures that are kind of fine art versions of Jim's TV comedy work by turns cartoonish, grotesque, surreal and sometimes very funny. (laughs) (laughs) My conversation with Jim was recorded face-to-face, hey, 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 back in the room, on a rainy morning earlier this month, September 2021, in the house that Jim shares with his wife Nancy and their teenage daughters. Jim also has a son, Louis, currently in his mid-twenties and working on a documentary film called A Brush With Comedy, about the intersection between humour and fine art. I talked with Jim about breakfast, the value in being sparing with bad language, although, ironically, there's quite a bit of bad language in that bit, just so you're aware. We talked about art and the art life. I got to wheel out my nearly-meeting-David Bowie story again, and Jim told me about his close encounters with a couple of other British music legends. Back at the end, but right now, with Jim Wire, a.k.a. Vic Reeves, here we go.
1: the levels. Tell me what you had for breakfast. For Actually, for, I had one of um, John West's tuna infusions. <laughs> What's a tuna infusion? <laughs> it's a small tin of tuna, but he, John West's had the brilliant idea of infusing it with lemon and thyme. Oh. Amongst other things, but then you put, mix that with a bit of mayonnaise, put it on toast. That sounds you good. You've got a winner. Yeah. But uh, I'm
0: curious to know about your Morning routine, anyway. Yeah. So, what time are you having the?
1: Sure, what time are you having the tuna infusion? Tuna infusion. uh, Well, uh, this is the first time I've tried the tuna infusion, but I'm a big admirer of John West and all his products. Yeah, I do like fish for breakfast. In fact, thinking about it, I am a big fisher file. Yeah. For breakfast. But anyway, so this morning it was tuna infused with lemon and thyme, which I mixed with mayonnaise and put it on toast at 7 o'clock this morning, 7 a.m. Other mornings, I might have pickled herrings. Other mornings, if it's a special occasion, I get some um, sardines mm. with a little bit of um, Tabasco on. Oh. Salt and vinegar on toast. Nice. Fishy breakfast. Brown toast? Oh, Yeah. When I was a kid, people used to have mother's pride, yeah. and that was luxury. But I don't know—is it still luxury? Because I was—I come from a brown bread family. Yeah. You know, it was a bit bohemian. It was health food. My mum claims she was the first person in Britain to import muesli. <laughs> 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 That's very progressive. I, well, it was a progressive household. This is in the late sixties. Yeah, when muesli well it's probably used as a base to mop up budgie shit in a cage (laughs) but we decided to eat it (laughs) good eating habits early on yeah
0: so they weren't coming back and feeding you uh non-stop burgers and mash and
1: no it was all as far as i remember yeah it was a very quite a foodie house we were vegetarians for years as well Really? When it wasn't fab- You know, there was the only other vegetarian in the world was John Lennon, I think. Yeah. Or maybe Paul McCartney. But, so we, we were vegetarians, really uncool. Did people at school know that you were vegetarian and tease you about it?
0: Yeah, it's like, it was a very namby-pamby thing to do. Yeah, definitely. I remember even, you know, growing up in the 80s, I didn't know any vegetarians. And it just seemed like the strangest thing. And then when I heard about vegans, it's like, you're joking,
1: aren't you? What, you don't even
0: eat eggs? What's wrong with eggs?
1: Yeah, well, they say I do love eggs. Yeah. And fish. I can't really... I couldn't involve myself with the world of veganism. That's too much. Far too far for I mean, I've
0: tried. Like, if tomorrow, suddenly the edict came down, okay, it's all vegan now. I want to be able to cope yeah. And I want to know that it's going to be enjoyable. There's still fun things to be eaten. Obviously, there are. Not cheese, though. No, but I don't like cheese anyway. Really? Yeah. No, you're the first person I've ever met. This is, I had this like. exact conversation. I mean, I've had this exact conversation a few times, but I was staying with a friend yesterday and had the same thing. He was like, I've never met anyone who doesn't like cheese. Is it really that unusual? I think it probably
1: is, unless you're Japanese. Oh yeah, okay. That's maybe why I like Japan so much. Oh, I love Japan, but I can really see their point. You know, if you think right, let's get this cow and squeeze some juice out of it, (laughs) then let it go off, and that sounds delicious. You know, they've got a point when it comes to cheese, but you know, sometimes you don't have to. You you shouldn't think about those things. Just enjoy the cheese. Oh, and then the other thing is a Stilton cup, which the um, the Georgians used to enjoy, which is you put um, maggots in and then. When the maggots eat the cheese, you drink the maggots and the cheese in a kind of soup. Oh. I've not gone that far. No. Mind you, yogurt's pretty bad. You know, when you think thinking, well, let's get some, some of that juice that you, we've squeezed out of that beast mm. and then introduce a bacteria. It's, it's monstrous. <laughs> well, that's another thing we used to do when we were kids. My mum, <laughs> we used to make our own yoghurt. We used to have a big, like, te- you get the yoghurt mother yeah. thing seed whatever it is you know and then it was more culture sp- the culture yeah and we'd make our own yogurt in a bucket were your parents actual hippies then well it was a, not hippies no but it was quite a crafty area my dad would make um like plates and cups and things out of wood okay and my mum would paint them with floral designs ah. and little devices on them I mean, there weren't hippies or beatniks, but there were um, kind of maybe Victorian crafty people, that sort of thing, you know, yeah. like um, arts and crafts movement. But were they considered
0: a little bit fringe and a bit odd yeah. by the Compared local to community? friends, yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. And what about things like TV then? Were they suspicious of Oh, that? yeah, that was... Um, you had to <laughs> give uh, reasons why you wanted to watch Land of the Giants or The Man From Uncle because <laughs> it was like you get a, like, almost written permission and my dad, when the TV was on, I used to make me laugh every time. He says, look, I know what you're laughing at. Because the TV would be on. And he said to me, mum, he said, right, can we have it off now? <laughs> and I would go, I'd laugh my head off. And he was going, look, it's not that fun. Every time I say that, you, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> that phrase used to make me laugh a lot as well. Yeah, did you yeah. get it as well?
0: <laughs> People don't say having it off anymore do they
1: no or having it away (laughs) have it off you're having it off as well that's another one you can do (laughs) were they funny your parents yeah uh, yeah my dad was especially he's a dad now but he uh, he was very funny there was a lot of face pulling yeah 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 and funny voices yeah you know he's from the goons generation so there was a lot of that you know yeah. A lot, of, a lot of goons style voices. The high kind of talking yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, which is good. And and so you got into that. I never really got the goons too much anyway. Uh huh, I know what you mean. I didn't really listen to much comedy I watch it really. So I don't know where it occurred. It was things like my mum and dad talking at close quarters. It was yeah. real life.
0: <laughs> what did your parents do for a living to go back to them?
1: Um, my dad worked at the... Well, I was born in Leeds, and he worked at the Yorkshire Post. Okay. And then we moved to Darlington, because he moved to the Northern Echo, so he, did, he worked at the newspaper. What was
0: he doing there? Was he a journalist? He was
1: a printer. Oh, a printer. Yeah. Come from a long line of printers. I did, um, who do you think you are, They did the pilot on me, Yeah, because I got quite a ridiculous story. But on my dad's side... It just goes back centuries and centuries into Scotland of printers who have nothing of any unusuality at all. Really boring. On my mum's side, it's a lot more exciting. Do you want a brief outline? Yeah, man. Right, on my mum's side, my mum's... My grandma came from America. My mum's father was the son of head butler and head maid at very big houses around Britain. And this lord and lady knocked him over in their carriage and said, oh, we're so sorry, we'll pay for his hospitalisation and we haven't got any kids, so can we bring him up? So he's brought up aristocratically. Went and got married later on, after he'd been brought up in his big house. He went and got married, went to the First World War, left his wife and three children and just never went back to them. Went off to Leeds, met my grandmother, who'd just come from America who was, I think, about 19, and my granddad was in his 50s. So they got married and had my mum and my uncle, but she said they just sort of like drifted around and he didn't work. He was always on the dole. Your granddad? Yeah, but he was like this aristocrat on the dole. Yeah. A fake aristocrat. That's like a movie. It could be, couldn't it? Yeah. And the, and I'll you... get to play him. No, I'm too old for him now. I'll play uh, the old fella who adopted him. Yes, you could be, Sir, Sir Lord. A, a Lord, I think it was somewhere in Essex, Rickmansworth, I think it was.
0: Well, what an interesting family they must have been as well. I would imagine that not everybody in their position would have made that decision.
1: Well, I think they're quite nice people. Yeah, there's pictures of them with Edward the Seventh. Apparently, he used to sing for Edward the Seventh, and also keep guard for Edward the <laughs> Seventh. <laughs> While Edward the Seventh was doing what? Whatever it was he was doing for half a crown, apparently. <laughs> His
0: little private guardsman. Yeah. <laughs> so what did your parents inherit from him then? What did your mum... Like, did she have a lot of memories of him that she told she, you about? She didn't
1: really like him. Um, but there was a lot of table manners... Had to be impeccable. Okay, yeah. Did you ever have
0: that? Yes, my dad. His parents worked in a stately home or or a posh house. They were they were servants, and so
1: well. So the same as mine, but mine the head butler and head maid. Yes,
0: my grandfather was also sort of head butler, chauffeur, and then kind of knew each other, groundskeeper. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: So same sort of thing. So yeah, so you were brought up with impeccable table manners, and it all has to be like. Almost measured, like yeah. the knives and forks have been in the right spot, and soup spoons and, everything, and yeah, everything, yeah, yeah, in the right place. So you had all that, yeah, and so you were brought up a polite young man, yeah. Okay, and uh, <laughs> I was tell- I was you know, because I was talking to my kids yesterday, and I said I was hearing on the radio that your generation is the sweariest generation right. ever yeah. in history. And I said, my granddad always used to say to me, this is my other granddad, he said, swearing's all right if you just pick your moment. He said, it can be like a bomb. If you swear all the time, it's going to have no effect. But, and also, that he says, the person who swears all the time is incapable of understanding the English language and can't find the word to put in its place. Mm-hmm. So i have kind of like almost shaming him into not swearing. I think I've made the exact same speech to
0: my children. Because recently, now that the boys were a little older, 17, 19, the other day, my seventeen-year-old unleashed the f-bomb at the dinner table. I thought
1: it was <laughs> at <that> the postman. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, we have a nice, <laughs> a nice postman, and it was in the context that he was. It was reported speech, right? So he was. So, oh, right. So he was. So, yeah. Okay. He wasn't saying, "Give me the fucking ketchup." There. Where did you get these fucking sausages? <laughs> Not fucking fish again. (laughs) No, he was reporting someone else. Uh, He was sort of saying, yeah, this guy was like, fuck you, you know. (laughs) And I kind of, in the moment, I was thinking that I should say, like, can we not swear at the dinner table? I mean, you guys know I'm fine with swearing. I love to swear. But exactly as your grandfather would have done, I've had the conversation before. I've said, like, swearing is fun. Like, a good (laughs) swear is great. And I love to hear a good swear. But, yeah, if it's all the time, you debase the currency. Yeah. And uh, it's, it, all the fun goes out of it. So what
1: did you do? Just ignore it? I,
0: I let it slide because I thought, fair enough, it's not like he's effing and jeffing right the way through every meal.
1: What you could have done is slam your knife and fork down and then said nothing. <laughs> Walked out. <laughs> and he would have had to come and find me in my study. No, you slam your knife and fork down and then stare at your dinner for a bit and then carry on. <laughs> <laughs> that would say so much more or i could have just looked at him like held <laughs> eye contact with him yeah
0: and then looked away
1: maybe he was doing it just you know because he would have thought i'm going to see what um, what response i'm going to get here yeah i don't think he
0: keeps a diary but if he does that would have been a diary entry surely but then a couple of weeks after that now here's a story about you know you'd let one f-bomb through a couple of weeks
1: after that c-bomb what, not at dinner? Yeah. No. And at that point... He's, he's, working, you. he's yeah. working you up, isn't he? But and he I can't said, go much further than that.
0: No. Where do you go after that? Well, I could suppose, have built
1: it up a bit more. But, but
0: but again, it was reported. Yeah. So where you go after that is direct usage, like calling me that, oh, right. yeah. that word, I suppose. We haven't got there yet. But at that point, I did say, actually, can we not have the actual
1: word at supper? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, you might remember this, because we both started about the same time on telly, didn't we, in the early 90s. We, I was.
0: We were a little bit after you, but yeah. yeah.
1: but I mean, you'll, you'll, it was still there. In, you know, you used to go into the... If you were in the BBC, into an executive's office, on the wall would be the swear list. Oh, yeah. And it'd be, like, right at the top was, I think, God, Jesus, uh, anything religious. And that, that was the top. That was the worst one you could get. Anything religious was the worst. And then it would go down with all the Anglo-Saxons, all those words. I would imagine it's a lot more race-based now. Yeah, yeah. Right at the top. And, and the God stuff. And this, was, this wasn't this that long ago. That'll be down the bottom because I think you can, you can get away with any really kind of religious. Pretty stuff.
0: much. America is a lot more religious still, I think, than the UK. I don't know exactly what I'm talking about, but... Yeah, it, it it feels like. I mean, you forget though, because the media is so secular, I think. But you forget that overall, you know, ninety at least ninety percent of people in the world are still religious. You know, yeah, it's
1: they're the majority. So because you look, at, I always look at. Um, I don't know if you do it, but I look on IMDb. Um, like I'm B. D, I'm D, D B D B. i am I am i can never get this right, <laughs> um, and I I look at the parents' guide. Mm. For my own use, because I, I don't like to see people's heads getting blown off. Yeah. So I look at the violence and gall section. And then if you look at the swear profanity section mm-hmm. on the parents guide, it'll say um use of Jesus three minutes in. So, and so that's people, the, you get a lot of that in there because people are thinking, oh, I'm, I can't watch that because they're using the Lord's name in vain. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. My dad was certainly, he didn't like that.
1: You know i used to get at school used to get in big trouble yeah so that that was the worst thing you could do and then after that if i mean you get into trouble saying crap yeah at
0: school i say i mean i say crap too often now i must say every now and again you're kind of reminded oh i'm sort of saying shit really is what i'm saying but crap just seems so innocuous. Me and Joe used to; every other word was crap when we were on TV. Oh, yeah. We all used to say twat as well. But yeah. being Southerners, we didn't realise how offensive it was the further north you go. Is it? Uh, yeah, I think it's
1: it's like the c word.
0: Really? I, well, yeah, I I it,
1: was a swe- it was a sweary. No one really knows what it is, do they? <laughs> is it a lady's part, or yeah. is it a pregnant goldfish? I just presumed it was a pregnant goldfish because <laughs> that's what I was told. A <laughs> pregnant in goldfish? In the 70s. Well, there's Pratt, isn't there? A Pratt is something as well. well that's an arse, isn't it? A Pratt fall. You fall over, uh, you know. All right, I'm going to have to Google this. Hang what, Pratt? Yeah.
0: Pratt and Twat. <laughs> I can't let this one
1: slide. I think it's a very grey area. Pratt,
0: British. Incompetent or stupid person. Yes, okay. Yeah. A person's buttocks. There you go. That's exactly what you said. OK, so yes, person's bottom. How about? Twat. Twat.
1: I didn't think it was more offensive in the north than the
0: south. That's what I understand. When we were on XFM, me and Joe, we used the word a fair bit until the station boss came in and said, don't say that anymore, please. It's really offensive for people like for in the north.
1: Twats. <laughs> for twats. For twats. <laughs> keep, keep referring to me and it's really getting upsetting the twats are really unhappy about it
0: <laughs> stupid or obnoxious person a woman's genitals right or to hit or punch someone if my best mate said that i'd twat him <laughs> uh, <so laughs> it
1: yeah i got twatted yeah <laughs> i've never forget yeah, that is true isn't it yeah But nothing about pregnant goldfish. I think that was just a rumour that was going around town by Robert Wyatt. (laughs) That's what
0: what that song was actually about. Hello. 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 So in the mornings
1: when you're here, you paint, right? Yeah, I get up about 6.30 and I paint every day virtually until lunchtime. And then I have lunch and go for a walk. Is it always oils that you paint in or do you no, just I'm go... I've done a lot of... Um, these are all watercolours here. Oh, wow. And people really like birds. I mean, because it's my main job. Yeah. There, and I really like it because i don't know i'm not retired and i never will retire but i've kind of retired myself away from television yeah because i really like staying at home and painting pictures and i make uh, probably more money so it just makes sense this morning i've been down the printers i take stuff down it's a cottage industry
0: yeah well my christmas present last year from my wife was a print of yours oh was it yeah and it was various bowie heads
1: oh right
0: and uh it was very funny and it was the watercolors that i'm looking at over on the table behind you now are beautiful fairly straightforward pictures of birds
1: like they're not mad no (laughs) you know i know what i sell yeah and it's like there's things i really want to do and i really like doing the birds yeah and but then again i I might want to veer off into a fantasy land I think your stuff is great and I envy your lifestyle that's
0: something I really would love to do I went to art school I I don't think I'm as good a painter as you but I would love to be able just to incorporate that into my daily routine just drawing or making stuff whatever but the you could I could yeah I mean I'm waiting did you make a decision
1: at some point did you well I, I, that's what i was doing before i ended up before i was on tv yeah i had art shows and i worked in a gallery i went to art school and i sold paintings and then i ended up kind of doing it on stage and then on tv doing an art performance and then uh that, that kind of took over but i've never stopped when i did, you know even when we do, used to do the big night out and the smell of Night, it was always full of my artwork yeah on the you know it's kind of incorporated. So it's, it's all one and the same thing to me.
0: And the stuff you were doing at art college then and the paintings you were selling then, were they sort of nutty or were they fairly straightforward, representations? Actually, I'll, do, I'll show you. Oh, cool. I found
1: this the other day. It's a little leaflet. Look, this is in 96. Look. Oh, wow. And I wrote that.
0: The Garden Gallery. Exhibitions January 86 to June 86. Monson Road, New Cross Gate, admission free, James R. Moyer. James paints to the sound of a flourish of trumpets. His paintings are classic, romantic and bombastic. They are beautiful works of art with just a hint of blatant plagiarism. Moyer paints Aphrodite and Adonis alongside the proud and mighty Hog. His paintings have been shown all over Europe. And our in numerous collections around the world. Yeah. This unbridled passion for painting and paintings has produced some extraordinarily brilliant and soulful masterpieces. And then, is that actually one of your paintings? No, that is, that's
1: a painting, a, a copy of um, a painting by David. Which I was doing at the time, I was copying um, masters.
0: Yeah, which is a sort of legitimate thing to do for artists, and isn't I, it?
1: But I was working at this gallery. Yeah. Because I, I put my own, you know, there was the bloke who ran the gallery and he said, well, why don't you do a show in here and you can write your own bit of blurb. So that's why it's so fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I was doing in 1986. Yeah. And then after that, I ended up doing it on the stage, you know, stuff on the stage, mm. which all, you know... And then after that, we're on TV. But there's the birds, and then there's the, all the rest of it has got comedy involved. Mm-hmm. Which my son's doing, uh, Louis is doing a film called A Brush with Comedy, which is about people who do comedy and art. Yeah, of whom there are many. There are, and it's a lot. There is a big comedy. It's like when you look at um, all the pop stars that have been to art school. Yeah. Like virtually, you know, there's the Beatles, the Stones, the Who. And Roxy music and Roxy music yes and uh, there is a big link so there's art music and comedy and it's all
0: yeah they all cross over yeah because you're all trying to find unusual ways of expressing what it's like to be alive and what the world looks like
1: well it's ways of looking isn't it yes like John to... Burges said and but you're the same you went to art school and then you just ended up doing comedy and you just it's, a, it's ways right. of seeing things huh and then you've got the chicken-in-the-basket-style comedians who just... Report hunt. what's already there. You, well, yeah, there's that. And then there's, you've got the... Because I think you probably fit into the same category as me. as the art school comics. You know, the people who do comedy that have been to art school and see things in the art school way, which would be Noel Fielding yeah. and Harry Hill. You can see, you know those people. I'm going to say it's chicken in a basket. I presume that's still what you get at a working man's club <laughs> Saturday night. <laughs> you
0: get uh, tofu sausages. Is it
1: chicken in a basket still, or is that a, 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 in the past?
0: I, I've never had chicken in a basket.
1: If you work in class, the poshest thing you can get is chicken in a basket.
0: Yeah. like well, I always wondered, Like, was it is it breaded chicken?
1: Anyway, this is not It's, a, just, it's, it's just a chicken dinner. But it's presented in a basket. They just dumped it, it in a basket. You no, know, it's like now you go to places and they'll put, put your dinner on a slate. Oh, yeah, It's the same sort of thing. Yeah. But, I mean, if I had a restaurant, I'd serve it on a clock face or something like that.
0: <laughs> well, I do feel like I love that world of comedians and musicians, the art school scene. But I always felt slightly outside it because I think that there is within that world a division between people who have a genuinely unusual perspective on the world. And I would put you in that category. And then people who are a fan of that way of looking at the world and aspire to emulate it somehow. And I I think I'm probably in that category. So I'm more kind of pulling things apart and analyzing how they work and things like that. But I think you don't feel the need to do that, right? You're not someone who is going out and watching loads of comedy and saying, How does this work? And no, I
1: never watch comedy, yeah, really. I, I try and give things a bit, of, you know, I give about five minutes. It seems nowadays I usually abandon it quite early. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny in America because I think some American comedy is the best the best that ever better than British and then most of it is worse than anything but Britain are the innovators if you like I think who were the people that you liked then who did make you laugh when you came across them Um, well I always liked well the stuff that made me really like was Laurel and Hardy and and the Three Stooges and stuff like that but I didn't really watch a lot of TV Mm a great deal certainly not any comedy because it just wasn't on the radar in our house
0: Biscuits, mm-hmm I am in love with you I'll dip you in my tea But pull you out before you fall apart I won't abandon you Biscuits, biscuits, mm-hmm,
1: nice You've got on with David Bowie on your laptop?
0: Yes, that's a sticker that came with a book about him. You weren't with him then? No, it looks authentic, but it's just because it's... Have you ever met him? I met Bowie very briefly backstage at Maida Vale. What were you doing there? Uh, Jonathan Ross had invited me and Joe to go and see Bowie play. It would have been around 2003. Oh, it it was
1: a concert?
0: Yeah, yeah. It was a small concert he did for the BBC for Radio 2. At that point, I was a little bit jaded about him. I sort of thought, "Well, his best years are behind him. He's not really doing anything interesting anymore." But still, he's Bowie, and I want to go and see him. And it was quite exciting. And he was very good, actually. And he asked Jonathan if he had any requests. Like he said, "Is there anything you want me to play?" And Jonathan that was said, good. That's one of my only impressions.
1: That could do that. Can you do it again, or is that yes? Certainly, yes. Oh, um, that is good, isn't it? Yeah. I'm looking through my binoculars. <laughs> <laughs> you see, that's... If is that, that, was, that was
0: the That's the kind of... Uh, no, that's... What's he called? Um, the guy who did Stellar Street. That's the Phil Cornwell Bowie. Is it? Yeah, that's a bit more kind of wobbly.
1: Or <laughs> is it like Anthony Newley? <laughs> I love Anthony Newley. So did Bowie, of course.
0: <laughs> Wanted to be like that. And so I think that's part of the reason that Bowie had this... He had this slightly... Uh, it's a c- bit nasal. Cockney thing. And also yeah. uh, quite sibilant with the S's. He's
1: a bit nasal then, yeah, isn't he? Yes. You've got... The, that's good, that. Anyway, yeah, so... Anyway, so
0: there was David. And he asked Jonathan if he had any requests. And Jonathan said, oh, I... Uh, yeah, yeah, let me check. Because he knew that me and Joe were big fans. I wasn't around, apparently. So he called Joe... Joe said, ask him to play Bewley Brothers. Do you know that song? Yeah. Off Hunky Dory. Bowie hadn't played it ever live. I think I'm right in saying that. Maybe a Bowie nut will tell me maybe he performed it before. But it was certainly one of the first times he'd ever performed it live. He,
1: so he knew, what he, he knew he was going to do it?
0: No. They worked it up for the show because Joe had requested it via Jonathan. So
1: he requested it early. So it wasn't just a surprise. No.
0: No. It was good. And then we saw him in the in the corridor afterwards. He came towards us. Jonathan said, do you want to meet him? And we were like, yeah. But then, uh, and I've told this story before, but then Ricky Gervais swiped us. He kind of appeared and he just, the office was just becoming a thing at that point. And Bowie said, oh, hello, I love your show. I love the office. It's hilarious. And that was the end of that. We never got a look in. So we sort of... We exchanged glances, but before we'd been properly introduced, oh, no. him and Ricky
1: went off and held hands and became lovers. That's terrible, isn't it? Oh, I was, I was gussied. He could have waited his turn. I was, I did see him once when I was on Top of the Pops and uh, he was in his band Tin Machine. Too, oh, yes. And I think he had this idea that he was like a heavy metalist and he kind of ponced about a bit like that and was playing the part. So I don't think I, I saw Bowie, but not the real Bowie. It was him playing a part of a heavy metal presenter. Did you talk to him at all? No, he kind of, sort of, like thrust his way through people, looking a bit hard. Mm-hmm. But I thought that's not you. You're just putting that on, aren't you? Anyway, uh, how about this for it? Uh, just thinking that like, I, I was at uh, Jeff Beck's wedding, and there was a like a rockabilly band on stage, and it was like people were getting up and singing a song, so. so I think Jeff said go up and do something so I, would go up and, so I was on stage with Paul McCartney and Jimmy Page and they said what are we going to do and I said can we do I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts <laughs> so I did and there's no evidence of me doing this but it did, it did happen so I'm stood with Paul McCartney on one side and Jimmy Page on the other and I'm in the middle like the lead singer doing I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts <laughs> of which I only knew the first verse and then Paul took over and knew everything. Oh, really? But Paul McCartney is one of those people who will know the words and the ch- and play, play anything. So that, that was, uh, yeah. No so engines. were they
0: both playing guitar then?
1: Yeah, with me in the middle. Wow.
0: Okay, here are the lyrics to I've Got a Lovely Bunch of Cocoa. God, there's loads. I know.
1: What's, how does it begin then? I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. coconuts. See them all standing in a row. Big one, small one, some as big as he read. Give it a twist, a flicker wrist. That's what the showman said. And, and then that's, that's me done. <laughs> but this, you know, always when you go on stage, especially with legends, yeah. make sure you know all the lyrics. <laughs> Oh, I it's like, over to you, Paul. (laughs) I mean,
0: were you... You must have had a few crazy encounters at the height of your pop
1: fame. Yeah, do you know what it's like when you think something and you can't say it? Because Bob and me did a song with Tom Jones once. It was before he'd let his hair go white and he obviously cared quite a lot about his perm Mm -hmm. and it had been pulled this way and that and the perm was very tight And we were really close together. And I smelt the pomade in his hair. And it kind of put me off the... Because I was really concentrating on his hair, thinking about it too much that I forgot the lyrics. I forgot completely what I was doing, where I was or anything. Intoxicated (laughs) by Jones's hair.
0: What was the song you were doing?
1: I can't remember. (laughs) It was one of those things that you do for, like, comic relief or something. Uh, It was a long... It was 25 years ago, maybe, but... Are you a Googler? Do you Google stuff when you don't know them? Oh, um, yeah, I Google really rubbish things. Yeah. You know, I don't, yeah, I do. On the night of a thousand shows, 2000. Mm. Don't know what that means. In 2000.
0: Yeah. Is oh, that yeah. the one? Big Reeves and Bob Mortimer recreate an old Morecambe and Wise routine with Tom
1: Jones. I expect that's what it would be then, yeah. Yeah, you can, can you see his really tight perm? Yeah. That's before he let it go. Yeah, I remember just being mesmerised by his hair and right. the scent of it. <laughs> <laughs> then we went off to the bar, and he's a really nice bloke, Tom. Yeah. He's like, we went off to the BBC bar, and he just started t- telling us stories like about... He was going, Oh, yeah. When I started off, he was, uh, you know, was just working in his clubs, you know, in the valleys. And he says, and he's, he oh, I, I used to live on a Saturday night, a nice punch up at the end of it. <laughs> but he was just telling stories about not his show, busy, you know, it was just like you know, what he used to get up to in the valleys. Yeah. He says, and I said, But and then you went to Vegas. He was going, Oh, yeah. He says, I had uh, an airplane, dresses, people like that. He says, Well, best thing for me, I had a fucking lake. Like, that is the best thing. Oh, what, is, what makes you think a lake is better than a private jet? <laughs> <laughs> but he's a really nice bloke, Tom. He seems like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: and then you were touring around, like... Dizzy was... I mean, that's one of the very few number ones that a comedian has had, a British comedian. Well, it's
1: the f- probably the first one... Because when we started off, we were, like, courted by the NME... Oh, yeah, It was was like, we were comedy rock and roll. Yeah. Because we came from a kind of arty rock and, you know... It was sort of indie comedy. We used to knock about with indie bands. Yeah. So it, it wasn't too much of a leap. But the first thing I did was Born Free. Born Free As free as the wind blows That was number three in the charts. And then Dizzy was number one. And then after that, I had another number three with I'm a Believer. Saw her face. Now I'm a Believer. Oh, yeah. And curiously, I'm going out on tour with Jules Holland doing those three songs. Are you? Yeah, I'm doing Five Nights. That's oh. Jules said. Do you want to come? And I just liked it. And I thought, I like doing those things where it's. I think with someone else, I wouldn't do it, but I like the idea of just, because he's my mate, that sounds like good fun, you know, getting about somewhere, going to Plymouth and doing that. You were in bands though, right, when you were a, yeah. a young man? Yeah. What kind of bands? Sort of indie, punky sort of, you know, you one, know what I mean, I don't know how to describe One of them's called Hot Murder, It was a one band <laughs> that I was in, because... Uh, In the 70s, that we used to change the name of the band. It was the same band, but we used to change the name all the time, so it might be, they called it Rum, or Bobby and Jackie Charlton's Eerie Mansion, or Dig Me, I'm Django. We changed the name every gig, so no one would know who we were, (laughs) so that we couldn't get any fans... Because we thought that was the kind of punk rock attitude to things. is like, you know, you don't want people to like you. What are you yeah. talking about? So, and then we took it to an extreme. Cause, um, so we're in this band, and I said, why don't we just not have a name at all, but we have some flasks of curry? And people go, it's that band that smell like curry. <laughs> but then we thought, if we do another gig... You haven't got a name, so you can't do a poster. Mm-hmm. And, and then, if it is, it's the band that smell like curry. It just looks like a comedy group. So exactly, it always you can't comes have down. anything on the poster. So it, you kind of it, it's completely negated. So the next best thing is just not have a band. <laughs> <laughs> but when you were doing all your band stuff and
0: things like that, were you already into the art scene? Were you already thinking about? dada and hugo ball and nonsense i was thinking about i've
1: I've never stopped thinking about that sort of area yeah where Um, did
0: you get exposed to that and then i think
1: it's it's a very showy off thing you know if you look at things like dadaism and surrealism and things like that it was like eve's tango would eat spiders for instance at parties and you know there's nothing particularly art it's just showing off isn't it (laughs) it's quite good though i mean it's not nice to the
0: spiders <laughs> <laughs> but you liked the idea of being someone who was knowledgeable about these things and associated with them, and would you behave in a self-consciously
1: odd way then to freak people out? I suppose so, because we had a gang in our late teens, and we used to go and see arty films and art, go to art galleries. We've on marauding trips to art galleries. We go and check things out, and we all used to wear the same: we had yellow jumpers and black trousers and uh, be a kind of aloof and separate gang to everyone else. In fact, we did. We forced a déjà vu on Generation X once. We went to see him, I think it was at Newcastle University, and we were sat on a long bench table, all five of us in our yellow jumpers and black trousers, and Billy Idol came past and looked at us. We went, hello, Billy, and he walked past on his way to the stage, and then he went, hey, and then... I think they were on about five weeks later as well. And we went and did exactly the same thing and said, oh, hi, Billy. And then he talked, what walked past and then turned around and looked back again, like full deja vu. Did this just happen? Or did it happen five weeks ago? And I think that's a great thing to force deja vus onto people. <laughs> <laughs> if you can go out of your way to force a deja vu. <laughs> to make someone feel crazy. I think it's probably pretty easy to do.
0: Yeah. Um, looking at hugo ball's nonsense poem gaji berry bimba yeah i was reading an article about it in the guardian that was written in 2009 by carol Rumens, and you know the whole dada thing is so interesting isn't it because it was such
1: a reaction against
0: politics at the time i suppose well
1: that's what people say i mean you know i'm not an expert on dada isn't mm. all but People are always looking, still looking now, even probably even more now, looking for a reason. And I think Dada is the actual opposite of reason, so, but people are still trying to find some reason. Why did you do that? And they said it was in opposition to First World War fighting. But I don't think it was. I think it was like most people from art school, just doing something daft. <laughs> Which trivialises it fantastically, but that's the truth.
0: I suppose you can say, though, that you're operating within a structure and some of whether you know it or not, whether it's conscious or not, these are responses to your environment. So Hugo Ball and the Dadaists, whether it was intentional or conscious, there must have been something about witnessing the horrors of the First World War that made them more receptive to the idea
1: of just being silly and... and, well, there might have been something like that. That's why they went off to Switzerland and, mm-hmm. and set up shop there, which was away from the war. So there were conscientious objectors, white featherites and all sorts of, you know, so they probably wouldn't have been going, blowing trumpets saying this is how bad war is because everyone was going to war and they, were, they would have been in, probably in a lot of trouble if they'd have started blowing trumpets about being anti-war.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like politics is sort of inescapable in that way. You can't really opt out. Opting out is in itself a political statement. You feel that a lot now, don't you think? Like Politics has become so exhausting and, and so divisive in so many ways. But it's like it's not really good enough. I say this as someone who doesn't feel qualified to sound off about politics on the whole. But it's like I sometimes feel like people think, well, that's not good enough. You know, you can't just opt out.
1: I keep away from politics as much as I possibly can. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't want don't think I'm qualified to say anything about. It, but it seems like it's from my outsider's point of view picture. It seems like it's. I've never known it as much of a competition. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, if you say that, I want to say the opposite. And let's see who wins. It's not about what's right and wrong. It's like let's see who can win this. You know, if I say this. I'm going to say the opposite and then we'll fight it out. You know, I mean, I don't have any video games, but it seems like life is quite a video game. Do you do video games? Uh, a little bit. I always feel guilty when I play them. I
0: feel like no disrespect to the gamers and the people who create them, because I really do think there's an incredible amount of amazing creativity in that, in that industry. But I do feel, for whatever reason, that it's a total waste of time. Like, I feel as if if I read a book or even watched a
1: film, then I would be, it would be a more meaningful engagement. I'm, I'm, exa- I'm with you, but I think we come from that generation. Yeah. And it's the competition from the generation that you and I grew up in is to have knowledge and not to have got to level five on yeah, a jumping yeah. game, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, even though I, I mean, I really love them. I'm, I, I think I'm afraid of them because
1: I mean, I, the two addictive. I have, I mean, yeah, not get me wrong, I have played them, but I just wouldn't have now because I know i will probably get addicted, and I know I'm, I would be not very good. It'd just get me wound up. Hmm. And uh, do you feel guilty about things? Yeah, as much? I really do. Do you feel guilty about maybe watching a movie on an afternoon? Um, it depends what movie, but yes, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Now this is the, if it was a, a ch- shitty movie, I'd feel guilty, but I would be maybe feel all right if it was a 1962 British kitchen sink movie. Exactly right. Yeah. I mean, it's
0: silly, isn't it? Because there's nothing inherently valuable about something that's a bit older, but it feels that way. It feels like, oh, this is legit and I'm... In a way, not only am I watching a movie, but this is kind of like learning about history yeah. or something, or I'm
1: doing something. And then you feel guilty if you're doing it. But it's the same thing. If you know, playing a video game, I'd probably feel guilty at any time of day, but in an afternoon, it's almost like a sickness. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with you. I was in a, a lineup once for um, some award thing or something or other, and I was stood next to Alec Guinness. And uh, I was talking to him because it was like being in a queue to get into a... Um, I don't even know what it was. So I was stood in this queue with Alec Guinness and talking to him, and he said, "He said I've spent all my life, I've never smoked, nor drank, nor taken drugs, but next week I'm 80, and I'm going to start on the heroin.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Did he really say that?
1: Yeah. <laughs> i don't know if he ever did but that's what he said to me but that's the yeah you sometimes be too goody goody can't you and and you might have missed out but like.
0: yeah i suppose so heroin though it's very moorish <laughs> uh the film that i watched the other day in the afternoon and felt okay about was rififi yeah have you seen that one uh I'm not sure if I have. I probably have. It was... Uh, Supposedly one of the greatest heist movies ever made by... Yeah. Is it Italian? Uh,
1: French.
0: French. Jules Dacine, yeah. I think, was the director.
1: But I used to go and see films like this at the cinema in London in the late 70s, early 80s. Mm. All the time, we go and see films like that, you know. Um, and then it got to the point where I'd seen a double bill... At some little cinema in Rupert Street, and it was Le Petit which was good. The farting Frenchman. Oh yeah. And this was an Italian version of it, and that was good. So, but it was on a screen which was probably smaller than a current TV screen. <laughs> and uh, and then after that. There was a documentary about T. Dan Smith, the corrupt counsellor from Newcastle in the 60s and 70s. I thought, these art films, I'm going to start going to see, you know, Close Encounters and uh, um, Harrison Ford films. The blockbusters. Yeah.
0: But that double bill sounds like a template for a lot of Vic and Bob stuff.
1: Well, it was. And then also, Bob and me went to los angeles in 1992 mm. and it, there was it started raining it was the floods of 92 we were stuck there for three weeks in this house in laurel Canyon, Whoa. watching the three stooges and taking notes <laughs> and came back and did the smell of and more did you literally was, take notes yeah absolutely what kind of things were you noting down do you remember well you, you know like must use this you know kick bob in the face and then turn the foot around and grind it well in <laughs> After saying earlier on that I, I wasn't fond of, of, um, violence. Of, of violence, there is room for it. Yeah, when it's a giant frying pan. There's a great Three Stooges film where they're trying to fix a telegraph pole and they have boots on it with spikes on them and they keep, <laughs> keep standing on each other's heads with these spikes that get stuck into the tops of their heads. <laughs> it is the most violent thing ever, but it's hilarious. And uh, But when, you know kind of reduced the fact that someone's just got a four-inch spike stuck in the top of their head and goes (laughs) (laughs) they used to really hurt themselves doing some of that stuff oh you would do I mean we did Bob and me did did you yeah what kind of things well the earliest one I remember is there was a um, it was the largest diamond in the world which contained a puppy and it swung down across the stage and smacked Bob straight in the face and I think knocked him out
0: i think that's still in the show though right that's it's
1: all it's all in there yeah. yeah but we used to really hit each other oh with pans and things you know you you can't not <laughs> i think health and safety might have something to say about these things now yeah but you you, you have to do it bob gets terrible um uh rheumatism doesn't he Yeah, he had um, bad arthritis, rheumatism. Arthritis, yeah. uh, uh, But he kind of got over it, I think, with his various other ill healths. That one took a back seat? Yeah. Okay, good. Are you healthy?
0: I don't know. I think so. I hope so. I'm due for another checkup. Yeah. I had a big MOT about three or four years ago, and that was all fine, I think. At least there was nothing major wrong. So I think there were a few minor notes about cholesterol and things like that. But because I didn't have, you know, because it
1: wasn't like a death sentence, I kind of skipped out going, I'm fine, I'm fine. So it's I... It's good, isn't it, when you get that? I've got to go for an MRI next week, which I hate. I can't do them. <laughs> I can't get in the last time. They put me in one and I said, get me out of here quick. It's terrifying, isn't and it? I just couldn't do it. So I ended up having to pay for it. But they got me out, which is all they wanted. Yeah. And that's just a checkup, you know. No, I've got a, a, what's called a vestibular schwannoma. Whoa, it's like a, it's a tumor in my head. Yeah, and it's because I've gone completely deaf, hundred percent deaf in my left ear, and I'll, it'll never come back. But it's like a, it's like the size of a grape. So they just have to keep an eye on it. So it's not malignant. No, it's benign. Okay,
0: and your hearing won't come back after they've
1: removed it. Or they can't remove it. They can't it's, remove it. Well, they, they can shrink it, okay. or they can just leave it and keep an eye on it, and that's what they're doing. Did that not really distress you? Well, no, not really. I just sort of thought, yeah, I'd rather hear than not. But yep. it's happened. So you just get on with
0: it, don't you? That's good. I think I would have been a massive pain in the arse if that happened to me.
1: Well, I've just got used to it. It's uh, because I like going out bird watching, and I never know where the birds are. Yes. <laughs> because I can hear them. I don't know what direction than anything you know if an airplane flies over or a car approaches i don't know where it is right okay because i'm have only got i had to throw away all my stereo lps i was gonna say like <laughs> what about have you got nothing in there whatsoever no it's dead as a dot absolutely
0: completely gone it just seems to me like as someone who is absolutely ignorant about medicine and science and technology i still think like come on 2021 how complicated is an ear surely you can fix it just
1: well what's done is like the eardrum and your brain there's a nerve Mm -hmm. and that takes all the information from your ear to your brain and the tumor is right in between the nerve so it's gone ping and snapped it okay and you can't reattach nerves not at this stage in medical science but in the future probably the week after i perish (laughs) (laughs) great news (laughs) for people who (laughs) it's a simple operation to reattach an aural nerve seconds of your time and you'll be able to hear and
0: see again i I mean that's the thing isn't it unless things change absolutely disastrously that's what medical science will do at some point yeah in the not too distant future all these things my,
1: my dad my dad died of prostate cancer right and about a year later have gone. Here's the cure. Yeah. Well, not the cure, but you know, he would have. He would have lived.
0: He would have survived. I know. But, all know, those that's, people that's that, all the people that died of AIDS. I always think, like Jesus, and and now it's you can live with
1: it fine. Well, uh, yeah, that's what well, I'm living with deafness. Yeah. And You're yeah, a hero. So. Can you imagine a, a life without stereo records? Terrible. No more will I hear um, Jimmy Hendrix. And, well, the producer doing the six was nine, it goes all over the place. Wow, 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 all that. I thought it was great when people worked out, out of like stereo when it first happened and they'd be going like, oh, let's just go, mate. It's like if we've got a new toy here, we're going to put it all over every record and phasing on drums. Yeah. Do the phasing on the drums and the stereo. That's great, isn't it? Yeah, I love it.
0: And I love those very extreme mixes that george martin would do on the beatles and that uh, paul botnick or whoever it was doing the doors as well you know so you'd have all the vocals in one channel and everything else in the other yeah. one and it was sort of mad but it really works and when the beatles did the reissues the mono mixes i didn't like them nearly as much Everyone's
1: well like, that's all i can listen yeah, to no, no. It's mono all i have stuff. to throw everything out all i've got left is frank ifield on mono <laughs> I
0: remember you Wait This is an advert for Squarespace I took one look at that website And I knew that the woman I have been living with Is not my wife I'd never been any good with computers So when I showed the website That I had built to sell my paintings to Tom He just refused to believe that I had made it and he started telling people that the government had taken his wife and replaced her with an AI. But Debbie had made the website herself. After hearing an advert on a podcast, she had visited squarespace.com slash buxton and done a free trial. They had all these professional-looking templates there. So I chose one I liked, and I started typing into it. And then I dragged in some pictures i uploaded a video before i knew it i had a website i've seen the matrix i know that you need big green numbers and a long leather coat to build a website it's just not that easy but it was that easy and when debbie decided she wanted to purchase her new website she remembered the offer code from the podcast i typed in buxton and I saved 10%. I was jumping up and down and shouting in your face at Tom. And it was around then that he started with the conspiracy theory. Why don't you go to squarespace.com Buxton, Tom, and you could see how easy it is to build your own website. Because that's exactly what they want me to do.
1: Continue. <laughs>
0: Rosie, where are you? It's always a bit of a risk coming out with dog at this time of the day, you know, when the sun's going down. It's pretty much, well, it's gone down. And there's just a few bits of light over to the west. And I can't see dog. Oh, yes, I can. (laughs) A little blurry, hairy bullet emerging from the gloom and loping towards me she's had a bad eye actually she had first the left eye was bad and then the right eye was bad but we had some drops that cleared that up pretty well but she had to wear a uh, inflatable collar it used to be the cone for that kind of thing which nobody enjoyed least of all dog but the inflatable, it's a bit like one of those inflatable neck pillows that you can get for traveling. It works quite well to stop her scratching away at the eye when it's under repair. Anyway, that's rosy news. Thanks very much indeed to Jim Wire for talking to me there, giving up his time, letting me come and visit him at his house out in Kent. Yeah, it was wonderful to be back in an actual room with someone we were both fully vaccinated i've had covid so uh it was all very responsible and all in all it was a really fun trip i hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation a couple of clarifications qualifications whatever you want to call them Um, my producer seamus said about aids i made a comment about People living with AIDS. Seamus says, worth saying, people are no longer dying of AIDS in the developed world. They are living with HIV, a manageable chronic disease. Video games. When I was editing this episode and listening back, I thought, actually, maybe I should clarify. Because it sounds as if I said, well, I think you know, no disrespect to gamers and the people in the industry, but I think video games are a total waste of time. What I actually meant was that um, I feel that's my unreasonable prejudice. Like I feel guilt after I have a long video game session. I love video games and they have been a wonderful bonding experience for me and My children and my brother, all of whom I've had some very wonderful, memorable times playing Bomberman and Pikmin and uh, Donkey Kong and Crash Bandicoot and all that stuff. But I still have this thing, and I know it's staffed. Also, there are more and more studies coming out pointing out all the positive effects there are for video games I've actually put a link to an article on the Mental Floss website outlining 15 surprising benefits of playing video games some of which are more convincing than others I have to say and yeah you know they could definitely help you with all sorts of things you know getting into pipes uh, jumping up for coins jumping on turtles these are not very up to date references, sorry. All right, that's it for this week's podcast. Thank you very much once again to Jim Wire for his time. Thanks to Seamus Murphy Mitchell very much indeed for his work on this episode and the edit and his ongoing production support. Thanks, Seamus. Thanks to Helen Green, who does the artwork for this podcast. Thanks to ACAST for all their help. And thanks, I would say most of all, to you. You listen right to the end. Uh, You're slow to judge, kind, open-minded, thoughtful. Whenever I meet you, I just think, how did I get so lucky? This is starting to sound sarcastic now, but I do actually think all those things. And that's why I'm going to lean towards you i washed earlier this week and so i'm i smell pretty good although i'm not sure because i still can't really smell and in the most respectful way possible i'm just gonna embrace you and give you a quick hug if that's okay till next time please take care i love you bye